Welcome to our NCA podcast. My name is Kathy Mears and I thank you for joining us. This episode is sponsored by Learning Ally. Learning Ally is a leading nonprofit education solutions organization that transforms the lives of early and struggling learners through proven solutions from pre-K through high school, helping students to reach their potential. Today, more than 30 million students struggle to read. By fourth grade, 65% of students across the country are reading below proficiency levels. With early detection and proven accommodations, we can make strides in alleviating these problems, helping our students to succeed. Learning Ally can help teachers help their students. Learning Ally is a great partner with NCA in meeting the needs of Catholic school teachers everywhere. Terry, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being part of our NCA um, podcast. Could you tell me um, a little bit about yourself? And I know you work for Learning Ally, but maybe a little bit about you, your career, your professional past, and then again, what you do for Learning Ally. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here, Kathy, and, and speak to the listeners on this NCA podcast. I'm Terry Noland, and my journey in education was a very non-traditional path, and I think that happens so often for educators. I actually started out in education teaching preschool and taught preschool and then became an administrator of that preschool, and I remember teaching and, and thinking to myself, okay, I got to do something to prepare these students to go into kindergarten next year. And I hadn't a clue about how to teach reading. You know, we did a lot of language rich activities of circle time and reading and active play and oral language development, but teaching reading, uh, I had no clue. So fast forward a little bit. And uh, then I have been working at Learning Ally for the past 15 years. Back in the day where I say I was going around to schools and, and peddling those cassette tapes of recorded audiobooks. I think a lot of people can understand what that's like. And oh my goodness, these cassette tapes are going to be transformational. But I always had something in the back of my mind of why would an audiobook even matter? Why, 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 why? I kept asking myself that. I kept asking myself around reading. What does that mean and look like? So through this journey at Learning Ally, I went and became a certified academic language practitioner, meaning that I have been trained in a methodology around teaching kids to read. I currently tutor four students, uh, helping them to hone those skills. And then I also in this journey went and got my PhD in literacy because this path at Learning Ally, my sole job at Learning Ally is helping educators become literacy leaders. So that's my journey. Yeah, that's a great journey. I remember my first teaching job, um, 1981, a long time ago, and they, um, I was given a reading book and I was supposed to teach kids how to read. And I had student taught fifth grade, and I remember saying to my husband in tears, I don't know how to teach kids to read. And just like, I should quit right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I read that, that teacher's guide cover to cover. It took me like two weeks to read it all. And then I went back and we started again. And that's what helped me. That's what helped me learn. And then, so then I was on the journey too, because I taught first grade for, for seven years. So it was a great experience, but um, I know the feeling when you're all of a sudden you realize the responsibility you have 
So I, yeah, I, I and I always thought to myself, I hope those kids got better teachers after me after they left my classroom. Yeah, yeah. And but it's one of those things, Kathy, I always say for educators, because I think I think our pre-service programs are not doing our beginning teachers a favor because data tells us that many of our pre-service programs, our college prep programs are not teaching students how to address this very complicated, intricate skill of being a reader. And so teachers are coming in and, and you know, they're floundering a little bit at the get-go and hopefully they find a great mentor, lean on those resources and evidence-based practices. And uh, I always say there should be no shame and no guilt because you, you don't, you can't teach what you don't know yourself. So no shame, no blame, just when you know better, start doing better. That, that sounds like very good advice to me, I think so. So if someone is um, a teacher of reading, which almost I would say every teacher is or should be, even in high school, college above, because there's so many different levels and complexities in reading. So someone is trying to teach children to read, where do you think they can go to get the information they need to be a better teacher of reading? Oh, that is an excellent question. And one of the places that I'm going to drive them to actually is the Learning Ally Educator Community. We actually have an online and a mobile community app for educators. And uh, a lot of the things that we do at Learning Ally is helping to inform, educate, transform how teachers understand how to approach this very skill of reading. We, our philosophy, our pedagogy that we work from is based on, we, we take that Hollis Scarborough framework, framework that she developed of the reading rope that we've got language comprehension strands and we've got word decoding strands. But I will say even Hollis Scarborough herself in a recent webinar said, I wish somebody would redo that reading rope because she said, reflecting back on the past 20 years since it's been that she created that, she said, I left out some things. So at Learning Ally, we are even thinking about, you know, what about student self-efficacy? What about executive functioning? What about the student themselves that the background knowledge that they bring? We've got so many students entering our classrooms that you talk about going to the beach and going to the aquarium and they don't know what that means. They've never been to the beach. They've never been to the aquarium and that background knowledge and everything that, that makes a competent reader. Yeah, uh, and and it really does matter so much to to our students. Uh, I think that's that's good advice. Um, I remember again over the course of my forty year career that that we know so much more about how children read now than we knew when I was just starting out because now we can see how the brain functions during reading. We can you know look at the where the brain is. Um, firing while kids are learning to read, and so so it, reading is way more of a science than probably was. 40 years ago when I start, started. So I, I think that's really important. Um, I also think it's important and give a shout out to teachers who are well educated to do this. Um, I sometimes worry that people think anyone can teach and I don't believe that. <laughs> and I do think there are things teachers know, especially those kindergarten, first grade teachers because they teach children how to read um, that other teachers never don't know. So um, that's my little statement on that, because I, I do worry that people don't understand that teachers do know things. 
Right, right. And the complexity of, of not only the complexity, but the constant assessment diagnosis of, okay, they didn't get it here. So let me transition and pivot and see if the child can get it here. I've got a student, a fourth grader, that when in, in a phonemic and isolation, phonemes in isolation, he knows those phonemes in isolation. But if you start blending those phonemes together, his, his area of struggle is around that blending of the phonemes together. And it's related to this issue of working memory. Now, you tell me that you don't need a little bit of education, understanding, and training about diagnosing that. That's, that's exactly right. And then those children who literally can't hear those sounds. Right. They do not distinguish sounds when they hear them. Yeah, And I think that that's really important, too. People don't understand that not everyone hears every individual sound. So it's, it's really um, fascinating. And again, because we know those things, we, we can work with a lot of students. And I think you're right. I think in way teachers of reading um, are like doctors, they really do diagnose what's going well and, and you know, and what, what could use some polishing for the child in order to be better. So um, a learning ally is a great site. I visited it. You have a lot of information there. So yeah. people, you know, looking for for ways to improve their reading practice, their teaching of reading, their instructional skills would find help there, I, I think so. So um, how do you think we can support teachers of reading? I mean, I think it's really important. And again, you know, I was that brand new teacher who really didn't know what she was doing. And my teaching partner, she was really interesting. She didn't have a college degree. She could teach circles around me because she had all this experience and, and she was so gracious to me and, and helped me learn what I didn't know. And, and I think, um, but I think about new teachers, you're right, the pre-service, how, how do we help them? How do we help anyone who wants to become a better teacher? I, I think it all starts with a core understanding and a belief in a teacher that says, I'm not done learning. I, I got a lot of growth that needs to happen. And that is a personal commitment. So I, I live a life of never stop learning. And every day it's like, what new thing can I learn? So often we've got this mentality. Okay, I completed elementary school. Woohoo, go to junior high. Ooh, com completed that. Got my certificate. Go to high school. Completed that. College, done. My learning path and journey is over. And I would say it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Sure, we absolutely need transformation of what's being taught in our pre-service programs. That's key number one. That's gonna come with more knowledge, more groundswell awareness with legislation changes, I think. But secondly, for those educators that are in the classroom right now, never stop learning. Surround yourself, put yourself in the presence and the proximity of mentors, of teachers that have been there, uh, you know, professional learning opportunities, learning ally. We every year hold virtual conferences, spotlight on dyslexia. And I have had teachers that have been in the business for 40 years say to me after one of those conferences, I walked away with something new. So even your most experienced educators can continue to learn and grow and read. Oh my goodness, read. There's so much out there, so many wonderful books to immerse yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very good advice. And then for those teachers, if you, you've been doing this a while, like I have, 
I think, you know, you owe it to our, our profession and our younger colleagues to be that support for them. I, th I think that's really important that those of us who have been doing a long time, if we see a new teacher, we should, you know, give them a helping hand um, because they probably would appreciate it at the end of the day. And, yeah. and that's very important for us to do too, especially as, as Catholic educators. So um, Terry, if you um, had one bit of advice for a new teacher, what would that be? I think I'm gonna go back to what I said at the beginning, Kathy, of, of you're gonna to start to learn things. A brand new teacher, my daughter just started teaching this year. She did, she's an alternative certification. She did not go and get her under her undergraduate degree in education, alternative certification. She's teaching fifth grade. And uh, there are days I've been doing a lot of mentoring this year with those, yeah. those evening phone calls with her. And here's one thing she told me, she said, I had no idea that I wasn't going to be able to teach, I would be dealing with student emotions, family problems. And I said, yep, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. But as you become better equipped and skilled to address those, those problems, it's like peeling back the onion on a child. A child might be acting out because they can't read. Because they're in fifth grade, you've given them the assignment and they're frustrated because they can't read it. So they're going to start acting out. And once you can start to understand those things, peel back that onion, peel back those layers for kids, I think it starts to transform any new teacher's teaching practice. I think you're right. And again, we, we tend to want to say we're not counselors, we can't handle this, but we have to handle it because the child can't move forward. Um, yeah. And I think with online learning and hybrid situations, as well as in person, everything that's gone in the world the last year, I think that this is coming to the surface that even though we're not trained as counselors, we can at least love those children and that makes a difference. And yeah. so I, I agree with you. I think that's probably very good advice for, for a new teacher. So um, you're sitting around um, at two o'clock and have nothing to do, let's pretend. Okay. <laughs> So where do you go to learn? What, where do you find um, new learning? So here's where I go to learn. So obviously the Learning Ally Educator community, there's such great conversation in there, but there's also some groups on Facebook. There is a group called The Science of Reading, What I Wish I Would Have Learned in College. And oh my goodness, that, that group is rich with all kinds of conversation and it gets explicit. Like, oh, when do I start teaching the, how do I teach a child about when to use the OW as opposed to the OU? And then there'll be 25 responses about the way that teachers introduce that concept to students. So it's a very finite way to get some understanding about instruction. And here's a very non-traditional place where I go get my learning. I go into the business world. And the reason I do that, not, not for the evidence-based practices about reading, but the reason I do that is because of leadership. I go to experts like a John Maxwell when it comes to being a leader, because the only thing, way that we are going to smash and crush the literacy divide that's out there for all of our students that aren't meeting those levels is we have to be leaders in our own classrooms. 
We have to be leaders in our schools and our districts. And that doesn't mean coming with a title of principal or administrator. Kindergarten classroom teacher can be a literacy leader. And so that's why I turn to some of these people from the business world, adopting some of their leadership practices and principles of what it means to lead in such a way that, that it's not just success for yourself, it's significance for your students and your families. I do the same thing. There used to be a column in the New York Times, the corner office, read it every Sunday um, because it's really important. And I've learned a lot about leadership from these other non-traditional um, choices. And, and again, as a Catholic educator, the, um, the book Pope Francis wrote uh, or that was written about him, why he leads the way he leads, really profound. So you can find leadership everywhere. And I think that's really important. I think you're giving good advice once again, because Teachers need to know what's going on in the world. And school leadership does not look tons different from leadership in other areas. It, it's, it's the same. Even watching the um, NCAA basketball tournament this, this week, you see kids who are leaders on the floor, both the young men and both women who are leading their teams. And they may not be the scorer or all that, but they're the ones who call the huddle and everybody comes around and they're the ones who's doing the talking and everyone's listening. And I just think that leadership is in every profession and we can learn from each other. So um, again, Terry, I think you're giving very sound advice to, to people and um, I'm glad to hear that. I think if you just pick up anything and read, you're going to learn. Yes. Yes. So you know, just keep learning, but exposing yourself to different ways of looking at things, I think is probably a really good idea and see what transfers over. So, so Terry, you're obviously a reader. Yeah. So what's, what are your favorite books for children? Oh, my favorite books for children. Now, let me clarify me being a reader, because I think this is important. And, uh, and everybody, especially a struggling reader, a struggling reader, they don't like to read. It hurts. It's painful. I, I, I don't see myself as a reader. And while reading came easy for me, I never saw myself as a reader. I will not be the person standing in line at the bookstore waiting for the next great novel to come out. That is not the type of reader I am. I finally understood the type of reader I am and my purpose for reading. My purpose for reading is learning. And once I understood my purpose, then I was able to select texts that would be appealing to me. One of the most transformative text books that I ever read, and I tell people all the time, I didn't read this book. I drank this book. And it was, star, it was a talk like Ted by Carmine Gallo. And what he had done is he had broken down TED Talks and how people become storytellers. Because as Plato says, those who tell stories rule society. And, uh, and I read this book and I sat on my back porch and I wrote my TED talk, Kathy, while I was reading this book because it was so powerful and how he broke it down. So I love self-help books like that. I just picked up Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. Just, uh, he's got a book out about how to train your brain and uh, uh, any kind of a self-help book, that's what I'm gonna consume. Yeah, that's good. But what about children? What oh, children's books. Okay, so, <laughs> so favorite children's book only because 
it's so impactful for my own kids is um, there's several and I'll, I'll attach one to each of my three children. So my youngest son, the No David books by David Shannon. I don't know if you know the No David books, but they're simple, uh-huh. simple little early readers. And um, just it, that thing was so well loved. The pages were falling out is how many times we would read that together with my youngest son. My daughter, stand back, said the elephant, I'm going to sneeze. Also, not a book that many people know about, but she would have voices for all these animals in that book. Stand back, said the elephant, I'm going to sneeze. And then um, my oldest son, he uh, he recalls even now that when he was young, probably nine, 10, how I read him where the red fern grows as, as we would get ready for bed at night and I would read a chapter and he told me years later, you know, when the dogs die, I'm so sorry, folks, if I spoiled it for you, that, that he had to hide his face from me because, you know, he had tears. So, I, you know, it's not just about the book. It's about the emotion. It is about the connection. It is about what happens to yourself within the pages of a book. I great it sound like great books and I haven't read those books so I need to read those books um I want to give a shout out right now because it's Lent and almost Easter for um for students of all ages and trust me I read it to first graders I read it to high school kids because um that's my career but um it's the selfish giant and um you should run to a bookstore and buy that book if you're a teacher and read it to your class. And again, I don't care if you're teaching high school calculus, The Selfish Giant is for everyone. And um, so please consider that book, especially during this time of Lent and Easter. Um, uh, For my, uh, books mattered too in our family. And because I taught first grade, I wasn't the mom who read to her own children. My husband did that. It was, I did read to my children, but not like my husband did. He was really the reader. And um, so my son's favorite book was a Jackie Robinson book. And I think it's very telling now in his career, he, he feels great empathy towards people of color. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from that book. And uh, about five years ago, he found that book on eBay and bought it for my husband for Christmas. It was- Oh, so- that's wonderful. Yes, it's so touching. And um, then my, my son and daughter, they all love the Berenstein Bear books. Yeah. So when my daughter got married, that she and her husband-to-be, they each made a basket for their parents full of things from their childhood. And she had Berenstein Bear books. So please keep reading to your kids. It matters to them. It really does matter to them. And um, they're going to remember it. Like I said, at some time in their life, they're going to give you that book. And, and you're going to be glad you read that book when they, to them when they were children. So please, people, keep, keep reading because I think it's, it's really important to our children, our grandchildren, and to our students. So, so that's important um, to really do. Um, I think that it's interesting that you read for, you read basically nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And me, I love fiction. And um, I honestly, I told my husband the other day, because you would think during all this pandemic, I would have had time. I haven't read a book in a year for fun. And I told him, that's, that's what I'd like to do. Just read a book for fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I would say many people are in your same shoes. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's just been um, a difficult thing. So you mentioned the literacy wars. Do you have any comments on that? 
So, so here's what I say about all of that. You know what? I truly believe that people in this business are not out to do harm to students. I do not believe the Ken Goodmans of the world are out there saying, oh, the three queuing system, I'm developing that because I wanna harm students. I don't believe that to be true. I believe that people are out there doing well-intentioned work and, uh, and the, the, it, it might be based on something that was a little misunderstood or misguided and now we know better. Once you know better, you do better. But I'll also say because of what we understand around those strands of reading and some of the missing components that even Hala Scarborough said herself are missing from that rope is that different approaches work at different moments and time depending upon the age and the stage of the student. So if I want to work on comprehension for a student, the way that I teach is going to be completely different than if I'm going to be working on explicit skill around understanding a phoneme and how to blend those phonemes. So I think it is more we should we should all lay down our weapons and and say listen, all of these approaches, let's look at this more in I've, I've termed it myself kind of a lighthouse literacy. You know, a lighthouse is intended, it shifts its light depending upon where the ships are coming in. And so I need to shift my direction, my focus, my teaching strategy, depending upon the way the students that are coming in to me. So if I've got a student with a deficit and explicit skill, you know what? I am gonna teach with an evidence-based structured approach that addresses that explicit skill. But if I've got a student coming to me that has a gap in comprehension, you know what? Then I'm gonna address that student with comprehension strategies that meet their needs. So that's, that's the way I approach it. Well, and I think you're right. I think different students need different things at different times. You know, I, as a first grade teacher, I had students who walked in who knew how to read. Yes. I mean, they knew how to read. But maybe they didn't have tons of phonics skills because that's not the way they learned to read. And, and you had to understand that. Um, so it, I think, again, knowing who your students are, I think is really important because that's going to help you to better able to serve them and help them with their reading skills. So um, I, yeah, I definitely think that's true. Um, I just wanted to say, um, you know, NCA does a lot of work and provides a lot of professional development in a lot of areas. And so um, one of the areas um, is STREAM and NCA is constantly working on how to make sure that children can read informational texts in ways that are going to matter in math class and engineering class, as well as art class and religion. So um, just keep that in mind. Learning Ally is a great partner of NCA and we really appreciate everything that um, you guys do to support our schools, our teachers and our students because you're making a difference and we really appreciate that. So, so thank you, Terry, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Um, it's thank been a you, great Kathy. conversation. Oh, well, you are more than welcome. Um, uh, behind me on my wall are my um, license, my grandmother's teaching license from, um, a really long time ago, a hundred years ago. And it's interesting because grandma got a reading score and her reading score was her high, that she had, if you were a teacher back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had to take a reading test, you had to take a test every year to prove your competency. And so we know there, we had three of the licenses. I have one, my sister has one, my brother has one, we're all three teachers. And um, grandma always scored like 97% in reading. So, so it's there. 
um, orthography, which people don't even know what that word means anymore. Yeah. But it's, it's, it, she was always like in the 80s, 83. So I think grandma was a very good reader, but probably not very good at phonics. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, I love that, Kathy. And it's just that visual reminder, uh, you know, just and, and this legacy, this legacy that's there. Yes, there, there is a definitely a legacy of teachers in my family. So, but, but it's fun. And I thank you for being part of the work and being a partner with us in the work because it matters a lot. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to NCA, um, NCA's podcast. And please join us again next week. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Bye-bye.